Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I'm all yours, Mr. Roberts, not Mr. Rogers. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Doing fine. I'm sitting here updating my Garmin Connect. All of my runs default to my easy day shoe since that's the run that I do the most often. So every few days I need to go back in and look at my runs that have speed work and update it to the appropriate shoe because one would want the correct mileage on one's shoes. I agree. I take a different approach tracking the mileage on my shoes. I'm currently rotating between three pair of shoes. And so one of the pairs is a default. And I use training peaks to track my shoe mileage. And so on two out of three days, I have to go in and change the shoe because I alternate shoes every day, regardless of whether it's a quick day or an easy day. Really? I don't really have a speedy shoe I'm training in right now. I know you kind of make fun of Jacob and I because if we do a long run that has some marathon effort or half marathon effort, whatever we're training for, and we want to practice just that portion of our run in our race day shoes, then we actually set up three different workouts. The easy portion, the tempo portion, and then the recovery portion so that we can track our shoe distance accurately because Garmin Connect is not advanced enough to say, okay, I did six of these miles in this shoe and four of these miles in this shoe. So we actually set up different workouts. What do you do? Well, Training Peaks has the same issue, and I don't know that I've run into that situation before, or if I did, I was not as precise about keeping track of my shoes. I try to be pretty precise. My feet usually let me know, though, when my shoes have expired I'm not currently using any of the carbon-plated shoes in my daily training. And so all of my shoes have basically the same mileage limit. And I try to rotate shoes around 300 miles. Well, I usually do 350 miles, but my Infinity Reacts easily handle 400 miles. So I've found those, actually, if I'm being completely accurate, Jacob found those shoes when we were in Florida at one of the Nike outlets. And so I stocked up on a few of those for $89.99 each. 90 bucks a pair. It's not too bad. Not too bad at all. Especially for 400 miles. Wow. It's much better to replace your shoes than pay for a doctor's visit. Agreed. And I don't train in my carbon-plated shoes except for if they're brand new. Then I will get, I don't know, a good... 10 to 12 miles on them in one run just to make sure there's nothing quirky about them. So I've had a pretty good week of training. It's been an unusual week. 
I've been training mostly solo because my training partner, our son Jacob, he had his big race last weekend. So he's taken some time to mentally and physically recover. So I've been training on my own, but it's given me an opportunity to run with some other people occasionally that I haven't run with in a long time. So it's been good catching up with some running friends, but I've been doing a lot of running by myself. And how's that going? It's going pretty well. I also got in a a bonus swim this week, which was pretty good. That's good. How'd that go? It was hard. I wanted to do some 100 repeats, and it had been a little while since I'd done any speed work in the pool. And so it was a refreshing workout. My muscles will probably let me know about it tomorrow. I'm sure they will. Which right now you're more in a marathon training block and not swimming a ton. So it's really easy to lose some of that swim fitness if you're not in the pool three to four times a week. But hey, you were in there today. Yeah. And I was thinking that this is a really good time to be supplementing my running with swimming because there's just not as much daylight outside and it's cold to be outside. It could be inside swimming. Of course, the downside to swimming late October through late March is the local high school swim teams and then the local club swimming team utilize the lanes, all the lanes a lot. I mean, there's always a couple of lanes open, but it's just a little bit less convenient during swim team season. Yeah. But it's probably future triathletes in the making, so swim away, kiddos. It's great to learn swimming while you're young. It is. And when you watch these kids swim, I don't know if when you're on the pool deck, if you ever really try to pay attention to their stroke and their style, but they just all do it differently. They don't seem to really be worrying that much about technique. They're just worried about getting from one end to the other. And the styles are all so different. And yet, they're all really good. Yeah. Everybody's unique. Tell me about your week of training. Well, it was a tough week. There were three hard effort runs, and usually I'll just do one to two hard effort runs in a week. But this week we did a little experimentation, and I had three hard effort workouts, today being one of them, and it was incorporated also into my longest run for the week. And so when I got to the hard effort, which it was just two-minute pickups, at a 10K effort, which if you're really doing a 10K effort, it shouldn't feel that hard for two minutes. But my legs were just still a little fatigued from Thursday speed work. So it's kind of working through that. Probably drop back down to two hard efforts in the week next week and make sure we give my legs plenty of recovery. Your legs were a little tired on Wednesday, so we shifted your speed work on Wednesday to Thursday. Yes. So it was a culmination of things. The Wendell Foster half marathon that I paced, while it wasn't a pace that was challenging for a race pace for me, it was a pace quicker than I would go just out on a long, easy run. So I think maybe my legs were a little bit more fatigued from that than I had anticipated. But all in all, I feel like it was a good week of training. I'm going to have, after tomorrow's run, I'm going to have about 46 miles in, which I think is pretty good, 12 weeks out a marathon yeah that's a good place to be yeah with my age and experience i really don't try to get more than 55 56 miles cap i know a lot of athletes who race they like to do two a days and get up into the 80 90 even 100 miles a week but it's not 
absolutely necessary to do well in a marathon. I'm not saying anything against it, but it's just not where my body is, nor my time allowance in a week. Even in retirement, you are a busy person. It's really kind of amazing. Just think about if I did everything I'm doing now and still have my job. Unbelievable. But fortunately, I was able to retire. I wanted to give a shout out to one of our athletes. Yes, he did great this weekend. Uh, Our athlete, Eric. He was the overall winner in the Bucks and Does Trail Half Marathon in Nashoda, Wisconsin. Bucks and Does as in deer hunting. Mm-hmm. I caught that. You did. And the race website is interesting. They refer to each of the different distances that they offered in terms of how many points are on the Bucks antlers. So he did the 13.1 pointer. <laughs> okay. And they had a five pointer and a 50 pointer and 26.2 pointer. Anyway, I thought for a trail race coming off of a half Ironman, what, just three weeks ago? A full Ironman. A full Ironman three weeks ago. He ran at sub 130. He crushed not it. Ba- not bad. Crushed it. You were talking about this being a good time to get into the pool because. The daylight hours are shortened, and it's also getting colder outside where we live. So I was thinking about maybe a good topic for the podcast today would be talking about running, if you have to run in the dark, how to equip yourself best for that, and cycling as well. Swimming you don't have to worry about because nobody's going to be open water swimming around here right now. It's going to be all inside where it's nice and well lit and safe, but for running and cycling... There's going to be a lot of opportunity to be out there when the sun's not shining. And then as a second part of that, as the days get shorter, the temperatures also continue to drop. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about what we do as far as training in cold weather. And then for me, particularly what's the most difficult is if it's cold and wet. So what do you want to talk about first, the dark or the cold? Let's start with the dark. Okay. So if you're training in the dark, whether you're on the bike or in your running shoes, you want to be visible to the traffic. So definitely wear something reflective or wear a blinky red light. It's great if you have a headlight so you can see what's going on as well. And it surprises me that we see a lot of athletes where we are at that'll run in the dark without a headlight. But I just find that challenging especially around harvest time when there's extra debris on the road plus the leaves are falling and so you just don't know what's going to be on the road or on the path and then as the weather gets colder there'll be potholes or uh, trip hazards or wreck hazards so it's a great idea to have a, a headlight and there's a wide variety of lights to choose from well i know even in broad daylight which fortunately being retired, I can do most of my training still in the daylight, but even in the daylight with all of the leaves that are on our greenway right now, you never know what lies beneath those leaves. There's those big walnut balls and there's some sort of really thin corn cobs on our green belt right now that are (laughs) underneath the leaves. And then of course the root systems that make the greenway uneven anyhow. 
uh, Suzanne and I this week, actually when we were having to do our speed work, got off of the Greenway and went into a uh, neighborhood that's not traveled that much, like very light traffic, and did a half mile loop in that neighborhood. There was no debris. The roads paved well, so that made it a little bit easier. But even so, if it were not daylight, I would much rather be out on the street doing my speed work with a headlamp than in the leaves and debris. Agreed. So when you were in this neighborhood, did you go up and down any hills? It was flat as a pancake. If it's the neighborhood I'm thinking about, there are some hills in that neighborhood. There are. Okay. We did not venture beyond the half-mile circle. Just checking. (laughs) Because, you know, when, when we go to the Mesa Marathon in... 12 weeks. There is one reasonable hill in it. Well, you will be impressed then. Today, we turned off the Greenway and went up through the Heartlands and crossed over and went down your infamous Hux Hill, but mm-hmm. we did not come back up Hux Hill. We went on around and looped back and came back up Ragu Drive. Now, there is a hill that I had never traversed. That is a nice long hill. There's often a lot of traffic, truck traffic on that road. Got to be careful with the trucks. Getting back to the topic of the podcast. Well, we thought we were pretty safe early on a Saturday morning, but there were still a few semis coming down that road not expecting to see us. Yeah. So that's something else to keep in mind if you're training in the dark is find roads that have very little traffic, especially very little truck traffic. Yeah, there is so much distracted driving out there. Even if you're well lit, you can never assume that the driver is going to see you. But talking about reflective gear, this never happened to me. And the only reason it didn't happen to me is because when I got into biking, my first road bike I actually purchased from a bike shop owner. It used, it was his bike. But when I would show up for group rides and there were other newbies in the group, People would make fun of them as they rode up on their bikes because they had reflectors on their bikes. I mean, I think a reflector is not going to be any less aerodynamic than the big lights that we mount. So I just think that's being a little picky. A little a little triathlete snobbery, maybe. <laughs> or maybe uh, cyclist snobbery. Yeah, cyclist snobbery. That's true because... A lot of our cycling group, they don't do triathlons. And I'm sure it's all in good fun, too. I'm sure they really couldn't care less, but it is something just to rib newbies about that and falling down when not unclipping. Yeah. Yeah, when I first got into cycling in order to become a triathlete, my brother made sure that I took the reflectors off. It's so funny. It's just such a priority. (laughs) So when you're running in the dark, You want to be facing traffic just like if you were in the daylight. You want to be able to see the oncoming traffic so that you can react if there's a distracted driver coming your way. But on the bike, you're supposed to go with the flow of traffic. And so the cars are going to be coming up from behind. And I don't have this particular technology, but the technology is available where you can have a light that detects coming traffic and it'll start blinking as a car approaches and also give you a warning on your watch or your bike computer letting you know there's a 
car approaching. That's pretty good technology. Yeah, and I think something that I have seen that's a little bit worrisome is I've seen cyclists who they do a great job putting on a headlamp on their bike, either mounted to their bike or mounted to their head, but on the front of the bike so that they can see well, but then they won't have any lighting on the back of their bike. And even when I've been in my car driving to meet my running buddies in the morning before the sun is up, I'll approach a cyclist and I'm way too close to that cyclist before I realize there is even a cyclist on the road. This one guy... I think his bike was black. It had no reflection on it. His clothing was black. It had no reflection on it. And then as I got closer, I could see a little bit of white light in the street. So the bike had a headlight on it. It just didn't have any taillight. So even though the taillight doesn't help you as an athlete with visibility, I say whether you're running or you're biking, you need to have something where... Anything approaching you from behind sees you. Yeah, so either a light or at least something reflective. Definitely. Reflective clothing, if you don't want reflectors on your wheels. Yes, because we've established that that would just make you not a cool cyclist. (laughs) And we want to be cool. We want to be cool, evidently. Another thing about riding in the dark where we live, there's a lot of wildlife in the streets when it's dark so you have to you have to be even more careful that you don't hit the skunk so to speak yeah i was talking to a friend not too long ago and he said a cyclist that i've ridden with before i haven't talked to in a long time had a wreck dodging a skunk crashed and broke his neck well, that makes me feel a little bit better that I ran over the skunk's tail rather than dodging the skunk. Yeah, it's the same thing. If you are in your car and an animal runs out in front of you, you want to apply the brakes, but you do not want to swerve. It's much better to hit the animal than to risk losing control of your car. Same thing with the bike. It would be better to go straight into the animal rather than swerving. And Anyway, animals are dangerous. Yeah, and that's easier said than done because your reflex is save the animal. (laughs) But anyway, it is true that any jerky movements on your bike usually ends poorly. I guess the probably the best strategy on the bike in the milliseconds that you have to think about it would be to do a wheelie or a bunny hop. Oh, yes. Definitely. While I'm down an arrow, I'm just going to... That's going to be the, <laughs> the thing that happens. <laughs> but I will say this. I probably won't say this about um, running, but I will say this about cycling, is the safest way to cycle in the dark is to put your bike on a trainer and ride inside. Stay in arrow, you know, keep your form, but you're not going to get the wind resistance that you get when you're out riding, but you can make up for that by pushing a little bit more power on your bike and you can make that work. You can control your power indoor, inside. Yeah, and the technology around trainers and computer software is getting more and more advanced. Some of the bike trainers allow your bike to sway to the left and to the right as you're pedaling, similar to the way it would be on the road. And some of them will adjust the incline of the bike based on what's going on in the software. But I was thinking, and there's probably 
a setup for this as well. I wonder if there is a technology that would incorporate a fan and adjust the fan speed based on your speed. They ought to do it based on your sweat rate. <laughs> hmm. You're not talking about to keep yourself comfortable, though. You're talking about an actual wind tunnel. Well, simulating being on the road. The faster you go, the more wind that's going to hit you in the face. I get it, but that's going to be... That's not going to be just your average everyday fan. That's going to be... Adjustable fan. A pretty robust fan. Hmm. And does it really... <laughs> that really wouldn't be affecting how much power you're pushing, just the feet, what it would feel like. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think through this. It's just more the feel of it, because that's not going to affect your power on a stationary bike. No, but... It's not going to affect your speed. No, it shouldn't affect your speed, but... If you sit up out of your aero position, there's going to be more wind hitting you in the face and the chest. Yes, but it won't affect your speed like that wind would if you weren't stationary. You just have to think through all this. I think you're just wanting a new toy. No. (laughs) Not right now. I'll let you know when I do. Okay. We'll start on the 2022 Christmas list soon. Hmm. Is 2021 over? For you? Over and out, buddy. Over and out. Okay. Anything else you want to say about safety in the dark? Well, there is safety in numbers. So if you are going to be outside in the dark, obviously it's best to do that in a group, at least one other person. And not as easy on the run as it is on the bike, but always carry a phone so you can make a call if you need to. Speaking of which, did you tell me this week that you got a fall alert on your watch, and your phone was trying to contact me to let me know you fell down. It didn't say it was a fall alert. It said it was an emergency alert. Did you get contacted in any way on your phone? I did not get contacted. So usually when that happens, I I think there is a pause in my workout that my watch isn't expecting. So I think somehow I accidentally get buttons pushed and my watch thinks I'm supposed to be doing a workout and I'm really just sitting working on a project. And so I'll look down and it'll say emergency alert and it'll say that Dean Roberts is going to be contacted and has your phone number. And it says, would you like to cancel this? And you can say yes or no. But in theory, if you say nothing, it takes it as a no and alerts you. Well, usually I go, oh my goodness, I don't want to terrify my husband. So I cancel it. But I was with you when this happened the other day. I said, oh, well, I'm going to not cancel this alert and make sure it really contacts you. I'm guessing it it didn't. If it did, I missed it. Yeah. So I may have to do a little research on how that feature actually is supposed to work and see if it does. But better to have somebody with you rather than relying on technology to, to contact somebody if there's an accident. Yeah. And if you're... If you don't have anyone to run with and you need to run in the dark, my suggestion would be find a half mile to a mile loop somewhere right near your house and alert whoever you live with or someone in your neighborhood if you live alone that you're out there and what you're doing because you just really want someone to know where you are. Yep. And actually... I was out running in the daylight today and we were in an area that's just so isolated that I wouldn't take that path when I'm by myself. I don't go to the bottom of Hex Hill when I'm by myself. It's just isolated. It's just not a good idea. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. 
Well, let's shift gears and talk about cold weather. If anybody knows me, they know I'm extremely cold-natured, and I do not like running in the cold weather. But I also, I'll start by saying I don't think a treadmill is a very good alternative for training unless it's absolutely necessary because there's things about a treadmill that just cannot simulate actual running. And I think the main thing is monitoring and being aware of your pace because on a treadmill, you can just push a button and set the belt at a certain pace and just mindlessly maintain that pace. And a lot of racing has to do with being able to monitor and maintain the pace that you need to maintain for a certain period of time. And then the other thing about a treadmill is with just the mechanics of the treadmill, it does part of the work for you because it's in motion. And so your feet are going against something that's in motion rather than the static ground. And so that creates a little bit less work but it also inadvertently changes a lot of people's strides and gaits. And so a lot of people get injured when they're used to doing most of the training outside and then they start hopping on a treadmill a lot. And I'm not saying a treadmill cannot be used effectively. We have athletes, especially some with younger children, and they can't get outside sometimes because they need to be home with their children and they have to get on the treadmill. And we, we work around that and we build that in, but we also encourage that they get outside as much as possible. It's just so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we prefer if someone's going to be on the treadmill that it's an easy run mm-hmm. rather than any kind of speed. Yeah, and we don't mind maybe some marathon pace or maybe even some half marathon tempo paces, but we certainly don't like the 200s and 400s and 800s, that type of just VO2 max training speed to be done on a treadmill. Do you remember the treadmill I had as a child? I do remember that thing. It did not have any buttons on it. No, it was completely manual. There was no advantage running on that from a motor turning a wheel. The treadmill was basically some wooden rollers that had a a mat over top of it. And so it was actually your foot push off that was causing the treadmill to spin. And being the little person that I was as a middle schooler, and it, up even into high school some, I had to hold on to the sides just to get enough leverage to get the treadmill to spin. I actually had to hold on to the front and lean into the front to go anywhere on that treadmill. One thing's for sure, you got a good workout if you spend some time on that. You did get a good workout, but it didn't necessarily simulate good running form. No, it didn't. And I know sometimes our athletes ask us, well, why do you encourage us when it's dark and cold and rainy to get on the trainer on the bike, but not on the treadmill? Well, the trainer doesn't do to cycling what the treadmill does to running. The trainer does not automatically move the pedals at a certain speed and you just have to keep your legs going. The trainer does not monitor your, I mean, it does monitor your power, but it doesn't put you in a power zone and keep you there. It tells you, we can set ranges and it tells our athletes 
what power range we want them to be in, but they have to do the work to get into that range. They have to do the work to maintain the cadence. And so it's just completely different. Completely different. So for cycling, when it's cold, there are ways to get outside. And you have done this more than me because for me, when it's cold, and for me, cold on cycling is below 50 degrees because I am a wimp when it comes to cycling in cold weather. But for you, especially when you were in your world championship training cycles, there were times you were out on the bike when it was pretty cold. And so what are some of the things you did to keep your body warm while you're actually outside? Well, for starters, I would do a little bit of dynamic exercise before heading out the door just to loosen everything up and then start off somewhat easy to let the muscles warm up and acclimate. But I would definitely have you know plenty of warm clothes on. On the bike, I found it uh, really helpful to have the leg sleeves that go from above the knee all the way down to the ankle and go up underneath the cycling shorts. And that always was good enough to keep my legs warm. Now the, so you did that instead of the long riding tights? Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to have something that's not too tight because you don't want to restrict the movement of your knee. You want your knee to be able to track naturally rather than being held in a position that is unnatural. But keeping the toes warm was always the most difficult thing to do. So invest in some really good socks. Good socks. And I think it's important too when it's really cold out to have those cycling shoe covers. I think they really do a lot to keep the wind off your feet. Definitely. And then gloves. Spend some money and get some high quality gloves because if your toes and your fingers are cold, everything's cold. And then the other thing to keep warm is your ears. I never had a problem with breathing cold air, but that is a problem for some people. And you could use a buff and bring that up over your mouth and nose if you want to filter a little bit of the cold air away. Yeah. And if it just gets too cold again, I don't have any problem especially if it's dark and cold, get on the trainer on that bike. And for us, when it's raining now, we usually will ride inside. Yes. And when you're riding in cold weather, it, it's quite a bit different. For me, my legs typically don't get cold when I'm running unless it's in the, the 20s or the teens or, or lower. And my feet don't get cold either. If I can keep my core warm and my fingers warm and my ears warm and everything's good and really the core will warm up if i'm going fast but if i'm just out for an easy run i would need to put a little bit more clothing on over the core what about you well for me it's important to layer because when i first get started i mean i'm just shivering to the core so what i try to do is wear nice moisture wicking layers and run loops so that occasionally I get back past my house and I can unload a layer if I need to. But for me, thin layers, it was a little cooler one day last week and I had on a moisture wicking singlet and then I had on a 
long sleeve technical shirt. And then I also had on a pullover. And then, of course, I had on my gloves because I want to keep my hands warm. And then I had on just a headband that was over my ears. I kept the headband and gloves the whole time, but I ended up shedding the outer layer. And I probably didn't need my singlet. I probably would have been fine just with the one layer after I shed. But the thing that's so different about running is as you get half mile, mile into the run, your body's core begins warming itself. Where in cycling, while your core is warming itself, it just doesn't offset the wind cooling you. So for cycling, I would never get warm if I didn't dress warm. But for running, to me, the key is being warm in the beginning with the flexibility of removing layers as I warm up. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that I start off warm when I run, but I'm expecting to warm up as the run progresses. But let's think about something. So you're wearing several layers and you get hot, and so then you feel the need to shed some layers. What do you think about not shedding those layers? and just getting hot. I did. That's what I did today because the route we took today, we never came back by the house until we were finished. And so I just decided, hey, let's let it feel a little bit like summer today. Yeah. It, a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about why not run hills so that you are prepared for the hills. Why not run hot so that you're prepared for the heat? So when we go to Mesa, Arizona in February... It might be 20, 30, 40 degrees warmer than what we've been training in. Yeah, it might be. So bundle up now. Get used to running with a little bit of heat, sweating. We don't want you to sweat so much that you end up getting cold again. Right. And I also want to echo what you said about cycling tights and cycling leggings needing to fit properly and not constraining the knee in any way. I know I have a couple of pair of cheaper running tights that I'm going to discard because I just feel like anytime I wear those tights, they just feel funny around my knee and it feels like my knee doesn't run its normal course when I'm in those tights. So it's also important. I mean, your tights need to be tight enough to where you're not having to pull them up, but they also don't need to be so tight that you just feel like your knee doesn't keep form. When you're wearing leg sleeves that go from the ankle up above the knee, it's important to pull those up and get those secured underneath your cycling shorts. I know on a few cold rides, I hadn't pulled those up enough, and the movement of the leg through the pedal stroke caused those to slide down, and before you know it, it's below the knee, and (laughs) it's not doing a lot of good down there. No, and you certainly don't want that tangled in the chain. No, I've got my my baggy leg sleeves on. But I guess the main thing, too, I'd just like to challenge you as an athlete, if you want to really stay fit in running through the winter months, there are going to be a few days you're going to end up on the treadmill due to extreme conditions, major negative wind chills, or it's in the teens and raining, or everything's covered in ice. But otherwise, if it's a little cold or a little wet, just get out there and run outside. What is it that our former pastor said? Suck it up, buttercup. Well, I think that's the saying that most people say, but he was saying suck it up, cupcake. Yeah, (laughs) which is really funny. 
So you mentioned ice. If you're going to be running in icy conditions, you can get different types of cleats to go on your running shoes, and you certainly want to be prepared if you are going to be in slick conditions. Yeah, I'm, I'm too old to run in slick conditions. I'll say I'll let the younger generations try out the ice cleats. Yeah, it's been a while since I've run on ice, but in the past, sometimes when it was, sometimes when there was snow on the ground, I would take that as an opportunity to run in the grass on a path that I was quite familiar with, in particular running around a golf course that I had run around some before the weather turned bad. So I was familiar with the terrain, and it really felt pretty good crushing through the snow on the grass. Crushing through the snow instead of dashing through the snow. Exactly. (laughs) All right. I think we can get through this winter on all these amazing tips. Yeah. The main thing besides staying warm is just be safe. This is a hobby, and it's a great hobby, but just be smart. Be safe. So I've got a scripture that I can share. And maybe my favorite scripture is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. But I wanted to go to the next two verses as well. It says in verse 7 and 8, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. And as we get older, we certainly want to keep our bones strong so we can keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, and then in verse 13, it says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Proverbs 3 is a great place to read in the Bible. Yeah, might as well open up the Bible and just read the whole chapter sometime today. It'll take about two minutes. So two minutes well spent. For sure. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.